The Hamlet Podcast, episode 18. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Macbeth with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. On paper, we now begin Act 2, Scene 2, but in performance, things flow very smoothly. Macbeth has just exited to go and do the deed, and now Lady Macbeth comes back onto the stage. The contrast between the two of them is vital to the tension, the excitement and the shock within this sequence of scenes. Macbeth has just exited, having had a very bleak soliloquy in which he had a real sense of how dark this night has become. Now, in quite dramatic opposition to that, Lady Macbeth enters almost high on the excitement of what's going on. The last time we saw her alone on stage, we got a terrifying look at her ambition and her determination. Now we see her at the very moment that her plans are being fulfilled. As she enters, she tells us how she's feeling. That which hath made them drunk hath made me bold. What hath quenched them hath given me fire. Hark, peace. It was the owl that shrieked, the fatal bellman, which gives the sternest good night. He is about it. The doors are open, and the surfeited grooms do mock their charge with snores. I have drugged their possets, that death and nature do contend about them whether they live or die. She admits that she's had a little sup of whatever booze she used to prepare the possets or drinks that she gave to Duncan's watchmen. But while they clearly had enough to get them drunk, she's had just enough to embolden her about her business. There's a beautiful pair of examples of antithesis here, and if you need a refresher, you can check out the series of episodes called The Basics that I put together during the worst of the pandemic. Antithesis, the juxtaposition of opposite ideas, shows up in episode four. Here, Lady Macbeth contrasts how the alcohol has made the guards useless and drunk, while it has made her bold and given her an extra boost of confidence. She likens herself and them to candles. The drink has extinguished the guards, but has given her even more fire. That which hath made them drunk hath made me bold. What hath quenched them hath given me fire. Even though it's a good while past midnight, it appears that this is a very noisy night. Shakespeare keeps interrupting and unsettling us with noises and sounds off stage, which, of course, increase the tension. If you are committing a murder, presumably you want silence. Any sound might mean someone could discover you, or worse, wake the king. Lady Macbeth hears a sound, and she says, Hark, peace. But, and this is particularly important for how this extended scene will play out, she can fairly instantly recognise what the sound is and where it is coming from. She knows that this, what she's just heard, is the cry of an owl. We nowadays consider owls to be cute or beautiful, but they are deadly creatures and they were considered a very bad omen in Shakespeare's time. Now, I don't mean to spend the whole episode telling you to go back and look at previous offerings, but I did do a very enjoyable deep dive into owls in Shakespeare, again during the time afforded by one of the many Covid lockdowns, so if you're interested in that, it's on the website and I'll put it in the show notes for this episode. 
What's particularly relevant here is that we've already had a reference from Macbeth to Tarquin and his evil, ravishing strides. In Shakespeare's poem, The Rape of Lucrece, which was committed by Tarquin, the night of that attack is silent. There is, he writes, no noise but owls. Here, now, while Macbeth likewise attacks in the night, we also hear the shriek of an owl. Lady Macbeth says, It was the owl that shrieked, the fatal bellman, which gives the sternest good night. Here she also echoes the end of Macbeth's speech, when he likened the signal bell to the knell of a funeral. Now the owl is called a fatal bellman, more death and bells, giving a particularly sombre ring to night. And with this reference to Duncan being summoned to heaven or to hell, she realises that Macbeth is probably right now assassinating the king. She says, in just four short little words, he is about it. It's yet another euphemism, but how could she really put in words what he's doing? She goes over all the preparation she did, retracing her steps. She left everything ready, she says. The doors are open, and the drunken bodyguards, or grooms, seemed to mock their obligation to the king with their heavy sleep. She confesses that not only did she give them too much to drink, but she drugged their possets, to the extent that they've passed out completely. If they weren't snoring, you wouldn't be able to tell whether they were alive or dead. The doors are open, and the surfeited grooms do mock their charge with snores. I have drugged their possets, that death and nature do contend about them, whether they live or die. I've mentioned several times that there are exciting instances of shared lines of verse in this play. This scene in particular has the most dramatic use of them, perhaps in all of Shakespeare. Just as Lady Macbeth is envisaging the surfeited grooms, wondering whether they'll live or die, Macbeth interrupts. Some productions might have him partly off stage here, or coming down a set of steps, to keep them at a distance from each other. If this scene was originally played in daylight, these lines from him are a useful reminder that it's dark and mysterious and very fraught in Castle Macbeth at this moment. So he finishes her line, asking, Who's there? What ho? Macbeth is rightly on edge. He has just killed the king, and so he needs not to be seen. While he is finishing his entrance, however that may be, Lady Macbeth continues her speech. She's just heard the noise from Macbeth, but doesn't quite know it is him. The noise has made her worry that the drunken guards have woken up and intercepted the murder, and that they'll be damned for their attempt without even achieving their goal. She hears another sound, and so she cries hark again, and then reminds herself yet again that she prepared everything. She took the daggers from the guards and laid them ready for Macbeth. He couldn't have missed them. And then she says a very curious thing. Had the sleeping king not looked like her own father as she slept, she would have murdered him herself. For all of her dark summonings and promises, there's something about the paternal, regal sight of her king in a bed in her own castle, where perhaps her own father once slept, who knows, that prevents her from doing the deed. It's a curious but fascinating little chink in her armour, and this little detail will crop up much later in the play. 
Rather brilliantly, Shakespeare concludes her speech with the acknowledgement of Macbeth, now visible to her in the dark. The last line of this little speech begins with my father, but ends with her seeing my husband. And this is the only time in the play she calls him this. Alack, I am afraid they have awaked, and tis not done. The attempt and not the deed confounds us. Hark! I laid their daggers ready. He could not miss him. Had he not resembled my father as he slept, I had done it. My husband. So Macbeth has killed the king. This is a gift of a moment for the actor playing the lead role, since we get to see the difference in Macbeth before and after this deed. For all of his steely resolution at the end of the last scene, now Macbeth is utterly dismayed. Understandably. He says, I have done the deed. Didst thou not hear a noise? Now he too is worried about others stirring. If there's noise abroad, this could mean witnesses or other problems. Again, Lady Macbeth is very aware of what she has heard. She says, I heard the owl scream and the crickets cry. She's already told us that it was an owl that she heard. Crickets are another nocturnal sound, and at the time of the play, they also had an association with witches. You'll be delighted to know that I found an article from back in 1930 all about insects and witchcraft, and that will also be in the show notes. A cricket might not have been as formidable a familiar as a cat, but certainly a chorus of owls and crickets at night meant nothing good was going on. We've now come to that most beloved of shared lines, as Macbeth and Lady Macbeth both seem to panic over who's heard what. The sequence goes, Did not you speak? When? Now? As I descended? I. It's perfect. It's one line of verse with an extra feminine ending because things are out of joint. But by this point in the play, we are so used to the rhythm of blank verse that this back and forth seems very tense indeed. Lady Macbeth is asking if it was her husband who spoke just now. We know it was because we heard him too. He doesn't answer. He thinks he hears something else, so again we hear hark. And now Macbeth worries. He asks, who lies at the second chamber? Again, Lady Macbeth has it handled. She knows where everyone is sleeping, who's in which room, who's in which bed even. Donalbane, the king's younger son, is in the second chamber. But Macbeth has moved on from wondering who might be back there, who might be stirring. He is now looking at his hands, which are presumably covered in blood. A key piece of stage business is that he comes back on with the daggers that he has used to kill Duncan, but right now he's just looking at his bloodied hands. He's now a far cry from the demented killer we heard described at the beginning of the play. Now he's hypnotised by the blood quite literally on his hands. He proclaims, This is a sorry sight. Lady Macbeth is having none of this. They aren't out of the woods yet, and she can't afford to have him falling into dismay like this, so she tries to snap him out of it, saying, A foolish thought to say a sorry sight. But will this work? Last time, we got a glimpse of how expansive and magnificently bleak Macbeth's imagination really can be. Now he's transfixed with horror at what he has done and the physical evidence of it on his hands, at a moment where, frankly, they don't have time to stand around. 
This scene is, is quite extensive in its highs and lows, and so I've divided it into three. We're going to stop here and then return to Macbeth's horror in the next episode. As I mentioned, you can find extra features on shared lines and, very important too, the caesura, the cut that sometimes happens in the middle of a line, and antiphasis and owls, and much more, on the website, thehamletpodcast.com. Thank you very much for joining me, and I do hope you'll tune in next time. As it turns out, next Sunday is Christmas Day, so more than likely episode 19 will be with you a day early. Keep an eye out, stay warm, and I'll be speaking to you very soon.